Hello and welcome to another podcast of Father and Joe. I'm Joe Rocky, here with Father Boniface Hicks. And Father, before we begin today's cast, I want to take a second to just thank the audience out there. Uh, we have grown in a way that when we first started, I didn't think we'd, we'd really realistically ever get to. And I want to thank everyone out there for telling a friend and and just you know communicating about the podcast to other people. So definitely would like to thank everyone out there and trying to be a, a vehicle where we can bring people back to the church. You know, sometimes it's easier to tell your friend, just, hey, listen to this podcast, than it is to physically take them to church. And we feel that, the fa- the, A, the data says that that's what's happening, and we'd like to thank everyone uh, for doing that. So with that being said, Father, for today's episode, I wanted to talk about something that we had mentioned in the past, which was at the moment of crucifixion, Christ died for everyone's sins now and forever, both forwards and backwards. And you described it as a moment that was essentially outside of time. And so the people that live in generations after us and generations before us still are going to feel essentially the saving grace of, of the resurrection and the crucifixion. So, what my question here is, does all prayer work like that? Or is that just because he's God and he's better than any of us could ever be? Um, when you say, does all prayer work like that? How do you mean that? Like when you're talking to to God, can you essentially, this might sound a little weird, but ask for graces for people that, you know, theoretically aren't born yet or maybe have passed in, you know, for, for their lives or, or, you know, back in time, essentially. Yeah. It's, um, it always just a, just a principle that we run into all the time whenever we're talking about God, theology, the church, all these things is when we start talking about things outside of time, we have a really hard time handling that as human beings. Mm -hmm. We just don't comprehend existence outside of time. So it's, uh, it's a little, it's, it's always weird for us. So I just want to say that up front and, and we kind of run into that over and over again, but we can try to apply some principles because God is outside of time. Everything flows forward and backward. Yeah, uh, in in terms of our prayer, so we can actually pray for things in the past, which sounds a little weird, mm-hmm. and we can pray for things in the future, which sounds a little weird. <laughs> but but uh, but it's helpful to know because um, it's nice when we can synchronize about things, but the reality is uh, anyway. It's it's helpful to know like. Somebody asked me, maybe somebody sent me an email and said, hey, I've got this uh, exam coming up. Could you pray for me? The exam's at 2 o'clock. I get the email at 4 o'clock, and I say a prayer for that person. Does that affect the exam? Well, yeah, in faith we would say yes, that, that somehow God already incorporated the prayer that he knew I was going to say into the person's you know, exam at the right time, right? 
uh, God can do that. <laughs> He's outside of time. So the one thing that we're really wasting our time praying for is to pray contrary to something that's already happened. Okay. That's clearly not useful. Mm-hmm. To pray that the atom bomb were not dropped on Nagasaki is a waste of our prayer because it already happened. It's already a fact. Um, to pray that, you know, I didn't get sick yesterday. Well, too late. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it already happened. And in that sense, we could even say this is, it gets a little touchy to talk about this. I think we've talked about it before, but when we speak about God's providence or God's will, because he's allowed something to happen, it's within his will. And so we could say that to pray that I didn't get sick yesterday would be praying against God's will. Mm-hmm. He already allowed that to happen. And so I can't change that uh, after the fact. I, I'd be praying against his will. And, and that's always going to be uh, fruitless and even damaging potentially for ourselves. Um, so anyway, it's a fun question for you to ask. And then certainly in terms of the future, I know uh, to make that practical, I know a number of people who have prayed for their future spouse. It's a beautiful mm-hmm. idea, you know, uh, girls especially, I think. But I've known some guys that have done that. They pray for their future spouse. I don't know who it's going to be. They even recognize, you know, their future spouse might be the church or it might be Jesus. But they're going to pray for their future spouse. It's a good prayer. And then it's beautiful when they finally meet that person and they could say, I've been praying for you for 10 years. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. And, uh, and we've talked about these things with, uh, you know, virginity or premarital sex, things like that. It's beautiful when there are, I know young people who are very intentional about saving themselves, saving their virginity as a gift to give to their future spouse. And on their wedding night, to be able to say to the person they married, I saved this for my whole life for you. How beautiful. What what a beautiful expression. What a beautiful gift. So um, so that's wonderful. we We can pray in these ways. We can uh, look into the future. We can trust in God's providence in some wonderful ways when we, we recognize that he's outside of time. And so his grace is, is moving forwards and backwards, and our prayer can move forwards and backwards in time. And one of the things that brought that up is, I'm sure as you've gathered throughout over time, is that I tend to be a little overthinking and controlling of some things at times. And... It was a thought of, uh, basically, because earlier in the week we had a conversation about life insurance, and you can't talk about life insurance without inherently realizing and talking about yourself dying, and that was, Amen. you know, part of the uh, part of the thought there was, well, I can, you know, leave financial financial instruments to to economically take care of things, but there's obviously more to life that you can't just pass on a, you know, a deposit of faith, you know, with, with a credit card or something like that. You know, you can't, can't make an insurance policy for that, but nonetheless, just the thought of, of after you're gone and, and how are things going to work? That's, that's, that to me was the daunting part of the process, which led to this thought and, and this initial topic here. Mm. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. So can you pray? Uh, you just reminded me, and I think we talked about this uh, in a previous podcast about the Hail Mary, mm-hmm. you know, 
What do we pray for in the Hail Mary? We ask Our Lady to pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. So we're already kind of throwing grace ahead in time. Certainly. Throwing it up there to the time of our death. Certainly. And, and I always took that as for the person doing the prayer. I was actually thinking more for for the rest of the people around me type thing. But just the same, the same concept is there. Although we're actually praying for us sinners. Mm-hmm. So we're praying for all of us that Our Lady would be there and, and pray for all of us at the hour of our death. But, um, but just to, to reinforce the point that we pray forward in time. So not only do you store up a life insurance policy, you store up a grace policy. <laughs> you store up the grace of a bunch of prayers that, you know, let these be time-released to your spouse uh, after your death, that whatever help she needs, she'll, she'll have that kind of waiting for her um, or whatever, vice versa, that mm-hmm. you'll have that waiting for you if, if she's the one who dies first. That's a beautiful uh, little practice that you described there. Yeah. And, and I think that there's, obviously, I think there's a lot to it. I do a podcast with a priest about getting closer to God. But I think that some of the ways that people will f- find this is those little moments where you hesitate and you have a second thought about maybe not doing something, not reacting the initial way you thought you would, um, and, and making it a much calmer and, and better reaction, maybe picking kinder words to use. I think that that is something that comes from within that, you know, is the spirit calling out. And I think that that's part of the graces that we all can experience going back to our last cast of opening yourself up to, to what God's telling you about what you should do. I think that that's all part of it is you ask for grace, you'll get it. But grace isn't a new sports car. Grace is, you know, things that you, that are very beneficial that you can't quite articulate, but you know that they're real and you know that they're there. And, uh, yeah, like I said, I kind of got a little sidetracked here from the initial question, but that's, that was the thought process that is, is leading here now. Yeah, I love that. That's, uh, and your, your relationship with Teresa and your marriage are having the right impact on your life. It's expanding your perspective. It's helping you to think about things even beyond your own time, let alone beyond your own self. And how do you provide for someone, not just dinner today, but how do you provide for someone in an ongoing way? And you're really thinking more like God when you're thinking like that. That's what God is, is doing for us. He's providing for our future. He's providing for our eternal happiness. He's thinking much more long-term about how to take care of us. And so... Your, your marriage is having a good good impact in your life, Joe. It's beautiful. <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, it, it's an interesting thought is that, you know, when you're not there in any capacity, you know, did you did you make it work? You know, did, did you to carry on to the uh, the right task that you had to? And I know that in our church right now, one of the things that's going on or just concluded yesterday was a novena to St. Teresa. And in one of the songs there, 
um, you're asking for St. Teresa to give you the graces throughout life so that whenever you're being judged by Christ at the end, he will say you've lived a wife well done. And that's, you know, all this going on at the same time is, is, is just a daunting thought when, when you sit down and, and actually accept that that's going to happen. It's a, it's a very overwhelming thought that I'm not totally sure I've worked my whole way through. Yeah. How do you get overwhelmed by that? Well, I mean, there's, <laughs> I guess you ask that question, different forms of life, you'll have different times of the answer. I, I know whenever it would come up when I was younger, it would be, it's going to be so boring just laying in a box, not being able to do anything. Like, can you still think even though you can't see or anything? And, and for some reason, that concept had stuck with me for a while of just no sensories whatsoever, but you're just sitting around thinking and you can't do anything. So that um, that was, like I said, the, the first thought of it. And then you get into the practical of how does everyone else around you operate and and what impact does it actually have upon people around the rest of their lives. And what, what impact does what have? Essentially, your life have upon oh. everyone else around you. I, the, I guess that's part of the, yeah. the thought. You know, I, it, it might be narcissistic, but I find it hard to imagine me not existing. Um, it sounds really narcissistic when you say it out loud. But, <laughs> but I think the concept of that I'm trying to articulate, you know, how can you visualize yourself not being is something that's probably beyond my scope of of theology as far as figuring out that type of thing yeah yeah and it's interesting to talk about uh saint Teresa, saint Therese of the child jesus that you just mentioned that novena to saint Therese, and you know she had so little impact on anyone during her lifetime entered carmel at age 16 died at age 23, uh, had little impact, you know, little interaction with her family. Most of her sisters entered Carmel. One of her sisters entered another religious order, um, you know, made little trips, but hardly anybody knew her. She uh, obviously impacted her sisters in Carmel a little bit, although one of them wondered what they would even say about her, that, you know, nothing has happened in her life. What will, what will we even write after she died? about what she did. And this uh, this little girl who hardly lived on this earth ends up being probably the most popular saint of all time. Mm-hmm. That after she died, the little work, the story of a soul, and then kind of collected together with her letters and um, stories about her just become the most popular source of spirituality for anybody. And for the last hundred years, she's been praised by every, everything to from popes to to peasant women you know the just uh absolutely loved so we never know the impact of our own existence on on people around us and we can't really see that for ourselves i mean she she didn't know the she, incredible impact she could have never guessed the incredible impact that her life would have she just had to live it as it was given to her 
And as it ran up to the end of her life, she died. She anticipated her death because she had tuberculosis. She knew that she was dying. And she tried to live fully to the end and offer everything that she had. And then what's that transition like into death? What's death like? That's a, that's a mystery that we won't really be able to describe until we experience it and pass through it. Um, we don't have any real descriptions from anyone what death is like and what it means to stop breathing and how we pass into unconsciousness and then beyond to where. That's really hard for us to comprehend. I sometimes like to look at the image of a, of a baby being born, how different the world outside the womb is from the world inside the womb. What baby in the womb could ever imagine what it would be like to emerge from the womb into the world outside? Who could, who could imagine what the world looks like when one's entire experience has been the womb of their mother? But that's, uh, I think that's what our life is like here on earth. I think that dying is really like being born into a new world. And it's just unimaginable for us. But Yeah, and I can see why people would have that initial gut fear. Uh, I think that we all have it inside of us with something that we've never done before. And as a side story, I was with my cousins last weekend and one of them's about three years old or so and there's this slide and i told him go run up that slide backwards you just need to come down it you can run up it and he looked at me all scared like he shouldn't do it like he thought he'd get in trouble and it was just too scary then one of his older cousins goes whoop right up it and now next thing you know all day that's all he's doing it's it's the funnest thing ever huh. and wow. and i think that that's part of why I guess death always has this fear and mystery around it is that you can't, you can watch someone go through it um, as far as them actually passing away. But the steps that are next, you just got to do that on your own. <laughs> and there's always going to be an inherent fear of that, regardless of, of, of how you've lived your life. You know, I know that, there were times in college I'd study for a test forever and I'd still be scared of when I took the exam. I can remember taking the test and and being confident about it, but when you get that answer, those answers back, there's still that moment of fear of was this actually done right or not? <laughs> and uh I said there's just just a lot to it there. So so Yeah. Yeah, and we don't really get to practice death, you know? <laughs> no. The, uh, the closest that we get is going to sleep because sleep is like death. We go completely, we let go of our consciousness. We let go of all control we have. And there's a way like that death is like sleep that never wakes up. So we could practice every night going to sleep, laying down our lives, uh, laying down ourselves, our bodies to rest, you know, and it's a good way to, it's one of the reasons that the church has always connected a special uh, liturgical prayer, Compline night prayer, to that time right before bed. And uh, there are a number of beautiful prayers in that uh, prayer of the Liturgy of the Hours, which ask for protection and 
being able to, may the all-powerful Lord grant us a restful night and a peaceful death. Lord, now you let your servant go in peace. Uh, your word has been fulfilled. We can uh, protect us, Lord, as we stay awake, watch over us as we sleep. So we have some prayers of protection, and, and uh, we're also thinking about our death when we come close to sleep. But when we think about death as falling asleep, and that's the image that Jesus uses too, he's not dead, he's asleep, he's sleeping. And when we think about it that way, we might be able to remove a little bit of the, the fear from it, the scare factor, and enter into it with a little bit more peace. But it also is going to correlate with our trust in God. If we really believe that death is a gateway to encounter with God, that we're going to meet him and be, we'll face judgment. So there's a, a fear to that, mm -hmm. but also an excitement to meeting, meeting the Lord. And um, then that's something that our, our heart's open to and we face death with a little bit more joy. So St. Therese, for example, um, prayed and smiled, you know, at the end of her life, blessed Carl, the last emperor of Austria, um, also seemed to be having a vision as he was dying. And he, he was saying the word, Jesus, Jesus, yes, yes, my Lord, yes, Jesus, you know, that kind of uh, prayer at the end of his life. So as, as we allow our hearts to grow in faith, we can face death. The, the passageway from time into eternity, to return to the topic of the beginning of our conversation, we pass into eternity in the process of our dying. And, and full circle, that's obviously going to be overwhelming. As you said, we cannot comprehend uh, the image of time. And uh, yeah, there's certainly certainly a lot to that. So... Um, so like I said, I thank you for having this conversation with us here today, Father. I know it was a little bit uh, different than, than some of our other ones. But as we conclude here today, do you have any final thoughts that you want to lead our listeners to as we uh, conclude today's cast? Well, I just want to encourage that very helpful spiritual practice of uh, meditating a little bit each day on our death. It really helps us to live. And... I like the ideas that you brought up already, Joe, of praying, uh, not being afraid to pray for things in the past, things that we don't know the outcome of, and certainly not to uh, be afraid to pray for things in the future. In fact, definitely to pray for things in the future for our loved ones and even for our own death, that it would be peaceful and beautiful and truly a transition into the arms of the Lord. Beautiful. Beautiful. So we'd like to thank everyone out there for listening. We will definitely be again with you here next week. Uh, please follow us on Twitter at Father and Joe and retweet us as we come out. So have a great week, everyone, and we'll see you next week.